A boy's best friend is his mother. Janet! Dr. Scott! Janet! Ah! Rocky! Oh, you're so cool, Brewster! I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? It was an asylum! And it was hell! 20 years of pure hell! Movies don't create psychos! Movies make psychos more creative! They're all gonna laugh at you! Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jock straps? Better give me those shoes, they're mine, give them back to me! How many times do I have to tell you Ursula Andres belongs with the transvestites, not the perverts? Oh, you heterosexuals. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. You're a bullshit artist! They're coming! They're coming! Hello and welcome to Scream at Queens, the horror podcast with the Queer Eye View. My name is Jonathan Larkin. I'm Jonathan Butler. Stephen Moore. I'm Martin Fennessy. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! <laughs> Happy New Queer from the Scream and Queens. Um, we thought to start off 2018. This sounds so weird. I know, I know. We thought to start out 2018, we would go with a classic movie. Last year, we talked about Psycho, which is one of, uh, collectively, I think, one of our favourite films mm-hmm. that we've covered. And we'll always probably go back to Hitchcock. Um, he's one of our, um, he's, he's one of our go-tos for a good, scary thriller. Whether it's actual horror or not is always debatable, and it's up for debate mm-hmm. tonight. So we're going to start off with um, another Hitchcock classic. So coming off the success of Psycho, Hitchcock was hoping to make the movie Marnie, which didn't materialise as quickly as he'd hoped. Grace Kelly was to play the title role, um, but being a glamorous princess in Monte Carlo, she basically wasn't allowed to like align herself with trashy Hollywood movies anymore, was she? No. Spoil sports. So whilst all this was going on, Hitchcock picked up on news reports around California of birds seemingly attacking humans, but in fact they were mainly lost in the fog and following heat and light and ended up causing havoc in coastal towns like Santa Cruz. It reminded Hitch that he had the option to adapt another Daphne de Maurier, another Daphne de Maurier story because he'd already done Rebecca and... Was, did we say he did Jamaica in? He did, yeah, that's, uh, that's mm-hmm. definitely his cock, yeah. Yeah, he's always his own nose. And so he started to set the wheels in motion to make what would become a horror classic. So, block up your fireplace, cover your eyes, and keep an eye on those monkey bars. Here come the birds. How do you do? My name is Alfred Hitchcock, and I would like to tell you about our good friends, the birds. That's the damnest thing I ever saw. Birds just don't go around attacking people without no reason. Yes, they attack the children, attack them. What's the matter with all the birds? Birds are not aggressive creatures, miss. They bring beauty into the world. Those gulls attack. Impossible. They came in right down the chimney. Why are they doing this? It's the end of the world. Are the birds going to eat us, Mommy? Get yourselves guns and wipe them off the face of the earth. That would hardly be possible. Mitch, don't! The five continents of the world contain more than a hundred billion birds. All at once, the birds were everywhere. Why don't you all go home? Lock your doors and windows. Did you get the windows in the attic? When do you think they'll come? What happens when you run out of wood? I don't know. You don't know? When will you know? When we're all dead? They're coming! They're coming!
Released in 1963, The Beards stars Tippi Hedren as Melanie Daniels and Rod Taylor as Mitch Brenner. And um, I think it's safe to say that it's gone down as a classic horror. Mm. Would you, would you, yeah, would you agree, boys? The film is basically it's about a spoiled heiress named Melanie Daniels who has sort of gone down in history as a bit of a camp, slightly wooden icon, yeah. gays lover. Drag Queen's mm-hmm. Lover. Stephen, did you say that you knew of it because of sort of drag culture and stuff before, yeah, yeah. And before you saw the film? Yeah. I'd, I'd got most of the ref. Like, I felt like I didn't actually need to see the film because I'd seen bits of it reenacted and shots yeah. and drag queens impersonations and yeah. Halloween costumes and everything and I knew so much of it already before even doing it but I'm glad I've seen it now. Yeah. So Melanie Daniels played by Tippi Hedren and she is sort of a, her dad runs like a newspaper and she's a, she's sort of bored sort of socialite in San Francisco mm. in the 60s and one day she goes into a pet, pet store in, in San Francisco in um, Union Square I know that because I've been there you've been there as well Martin? Oh, yeah. really? It's right by where Macy's is. Oh, right. Okay. It's right there. I think the hotel I stayed in, you can see in that first shot. Oh, do you? stayed in the Western, we went to San Francisco, and oh, it's in the background. Yeah. Union Square, isn't it? Uh, she goes into a pet shop looking for a minor bird to um, buy for her auntie. It's, <laughs> so it's buy for her like a buttoned up aunt, isn't it? And yeah, she's got to teach her to her words. Yeah, <laughs> to, to, to upset her aunt. <laughs> And while she's there, a hunky guy called Mitch Brenner walks in and he's looking to buy some lovebirds for his 11-year-old sister, Kathy. And Melanie takes a shine to him and being the mischievous, sort of coquettish little minx that she is, she decide, he thinks that she works in the pet shop, so she decides to go along with it to see what she can sort of glean about Mitch. Sort of a, um, a play, a sort of cat-and-mouse game starts, mm. to, starts to happen there. And long story short... She really fancies him and then decides that it's perfectly acceptable for her to use her newspaper connections to find out where Mitch lives and goes there. (laughs) So Mitch basically works in San Francisco all week, but he lives in a place called Bodega Bay, which is just outside San Francisco up the coast. I've been there. And um, she decides to buy the lovebirds and take them to... Mitch and leave like a little note for him and all of this behaviour that's actually stalking behaviour but she plays it so sort of camp and screwball that you sort of forgive her and whilst she's there in Bodega Bay she sort of stirs up some tensions and feelings and then suddenly they're under siege from murderous birds and that's the premise of the film would you say? Yeah. That'll sum that up quite well. So who wants to start us off? Martin, the tippy hedron of the group. <laughs> wow. I do feel like I have a spiritual connection with the tippy hedron. Why? Because many years ago, I was walking down Bold Street and a pigeon collided into the side of my head. <gasps> Beak first from a side street. Beak first. Beak first oh, into the side of my head. I did slapped in the head by a pigeon, but never like... And I've, I've always been a bit averse to pigeons coming... Yeah. Near me since then, and <laughs> but I have felt like I have a connection to Tippy Hedron because of that and this film. Not to mention the beige mink coat that you've got as well. The beige <laughs> mink, mink coat <laughs> and the um, the green um, pencil skirt yeah. suit yeah. that I wear to work with handbag that I never let go of. Never let go of no matter what. No matter what. I did, for some reason, I did think of you when I was watching it. I don't know. I think I could actually just really see you in that outfit it's because that's how I look for work. <laughs> if she was a stalker, she'd be. The, she's the most glamorous, <laughs> yeah, immaculately. Yeah. 
any dark stalker you could possibly hope to have. Yeah, yeah. She's sort of chic, isn't she? She's the picture of sort of sophisticated 60s yeah. elegance, really. Which is a prankster as well, mm. isn't she? And yeah. that's part of the reason why she's got the... That's the reason why she's got the balls to go all the yeah. way up to Bodega Bay have yeah. a, and the balls to find out where he lives, to be able to carry yeah. this out and sneak the lovebirds... Yeah. into his house with the note for his sister who's about 11, 11. About, yeah. well it's 11 and appears 40 years <laughs> younger than him so it's it's her history of being of being a prankster and having yeah. been up in court hasn't she yeah. for various deeds that she's done yeah. that give her like the balls to do that well she so Mitch so a bit of, bit of backstory then so when Mitch comes into the bit, to the pet shop it turns out, doesn't it, that he actually knew who she was all along. Yeah, yeah that's who he recognises. Because yeah. he's, he's, he's a lawyer. Isn't he a lawyer? Isn't he a prosecutor? Yeah. And yeah. she's been up in front of him. Yeah, basically, yeah. And she sort of, there was a there was a prank that she played that ended in the destruction of like a plate glass window or something. Mm. Yeah. So he knew, he's got a card marked all along, mm. hasn't he? Um, one of my favourite moments, it's so random, but one of my favourite moments in that first scene is when she decides to call, um, I think it's like Charlie or something, like that, yeah. Daddy's newspaper, and she uses a pencil so she doesn't have to break a nail (laughs) (laughs) and she always twiddles with the phone with the the phone cords as well she's very playful isn't she but that only works having tried it only works with a pencil it's got a rubber on the end so you have (laughs) (laughs) we also get in that first scene the Hitchcock cameo of course is that what it is I was keeping an eye out for him it's right at the beginning walking past the dogs yeah ah that's the one Yeah. Yeah. yeah the dogs are actually his own dogs as well Stanley and Jeffrey yeah, I missed it as well, but I read it on Wikipedia. That's oh, okay. Because I was looking up for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there is that marvelous moment though. Then isn't there where Melanie, is it, she gets out of a car or a cab, doesn't she? Oh, she's crossing the street just yeah. about to go into the pet shop, and um, I think it's the newspaper guy. You don't see it. Some fella off screen wolf yeah. whistles her. Yeah. And her reaction to it is just incredible. You just you just know that she's like a girl about town. Yeah. And she's got not got a care in the world yeah. and nothing can bring her yeah. nothing can bring her down. And she loves that attention. Yeah. I just I'd love to see that someone put that in a film now and I could just imagine there'd be such a backlash oh, against like Twitter storm would be <laughs> through oh, the it just condones wolf whistling. Mm. I know, and the thing is, though, she fucking loves it. I know, she Because she knows that she can she can control men just by the way she looks. Yeah. As well. Mm. It's how I feel walking down the street. Of course. Yeah, me too. Me too. And it's like, you know, she's got that sort of rich white girl entitlement about her, hasn't she? Which could be actually irritating and arrogant. But because she plays it so well. Because Tibby Hedron, let's face it, Tibby Hedron has actually got a bit of a um, reputation for being wooden. Mm -hmm. But... She, the way she acts with her face is actually brilliant. Yeah, she can convey a lot of stuff just mm. just with the way she, that she looks. She makes she can make you laugh. She can't quite make you cry. <laughs> but, <laughs> she, but she really gets a good uh, an emotional response from me. I think mm. just from the way she stands. Like there's the scene where um, she picks up the live the live bed. She picks up the love birds and takes them to Mitch's apartment. And she, when she's in the lift, she sort of stood with her head tilted mm-hmm. like a little mannequin, and it's just so cute. And she's got that little vacant look on her face. Like mischievous as well. She's got like a mischievous because she's doing that to play a trick on Mitch. Yeah, because she's not actually an actress. Is she Tiffy Hedron? Well, she wasn't really until then. She was actually a model. 
yeah. and you she she models her way through this film <laughs> <laughs> every film. single yeah every yeah. single shot she is perfectly yeah. posed and every limb yeah. digit is perfectly positioned yeah she's and really that face is perfectly angled towards the camera and the yeah. lights but she's, she's gorgeous but it's she's not amazing, it's not she? necessarily obvious but it's it's mannered in the it's very mannered in the style of the character yeah but her modeling just comes through i think the second she stepped off the car and she had that giant clutch purse that was like you could fit like five actual purses in it and i was yeah. just like i just saw it and a perfect hair like hair, ridiculously perfect hair and i was just like I instantly love you like yeah. I just get this and I'm so on your team no matter what you're doing right now I like you she's got that perfect Hitchcock blonde thing yeah. she, she looks a bit like Kim Novak yeah. in, in um, Vertigo Vertigo but she's pretty I think she's pretty like Kim she Novak is. and she's also a bit like I read in, in the book um, Camille Paglia compares her to Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct wow. as well Who and because the, they're both San Francisco yeah. femme fatales mm. as well you, you forget that sort of connection with Basic Instinct but yeah she's perfect she's iconic but so is the green suit being extreme homosexuals we had to pause the film so Ben could get up a chart of different greens on via Google on his iPad <laughs> so, <laughs> so we could decide what the shade was what did you decide? well Technically, it's olive, Sorry. but very close to it was something that's too good to be to not be used, and it's parakeet. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be parakeet, got given, be the, parakeet. given the theme Definitely. of the film. Yeah, but yeah, that was hilarious. We were just, sort of just going through the shades, thinking, "What could it be? What could it be?" God, that's just too perfect for it not to. The, the Edith has not to been aware of yeah. that. Yeah, she was the the costume. Yeah, wasn't she? The she film. Was, yeah. Um, she must have known. So Hitchcock apparently, um, he had her decked out before she even got the part. Well, he, he knew he wanted to give her the, the role, but before she even did any screen tests or anything, he decided how he wanted her to look. A little bit sort of harking back to the old studio system mm. Hollywood. So, so he wanted her to look a certain way just for being out in the out in at events and stuff. Mm. He wanted to sort of build a mythology about the way Tippi Hedren looked before they even announced that she was doing this film, which I find really interesting. Yeah. Wasn't he a bit obsessed with her? Isn't the stories of... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they sort of vary because, like, uh, so I've been... Uh, throughout this podcast, I'll refer to this book by Camille Paglia and it was published in... Well, it's from 1998. The version I got a bit later than that, 2008, I got it. And she references interviews that she did with Tippy in her, you know, throughout her career. Mm. And Tippy kind of... I mean, we'll discuss it as we get to the scenes as yeah. well, but Tippy plays it down a little bit. Yeah. But then... In 2016. Did his films in the about the kind of relationship? And she released like an autobiography basically saying that he tried to rape her on, mm-hmm. on a few occasions. And she tweeted after the whole Harvey Weinstein thing, she tweeted her opinion on it saying mm-hmm. this has been happening for years. Mm-hmm. It's no different to what Hitch did to me. Yeah, so it's interesting. Like. The film's worth watching. Sienna Miller plays Tippi Hedren. Yeah. Um, and people can quite dismissive of Sienna Miller, but actually she can... She can she can be really good in the right part. Yeah. Well, she's like, people are dismissive of Tippi Hedren as well, yeah. but she actually carries this whole mm. movie. On her way to Bodega Bay is one of my favourite moments of the oh film. Oh my god, yes. The birds. The birds. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the children. I, I had to stop and rewind that because I was like, that did not. Hilarious, like, absolutely perfect. As she's, she's going extremely fast. <laughs> 
putting her high heel to the floor. Because she's so, um, she's meant to be so crazy. Yeah, she did. Have a wild. Going around the corners when the two little little boys bear brooch beds are sitting there and perched on the little stool and as she swears around the corners the beds lean with the corners. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so cute. It's adorable, absurd and hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's perfect. I didn't even know if it was meant to be as funny as it is. I think it is because Hitchcock does have a sort of naughty sense of humour mm. so I think he put these things in on purpose. So good. Yeah. I love it. So then she gets to the town, she gets to Bodega Bay, which is like sort of quintessential seaside harbour town, mm-hmm. isn't it? And she just looks completely out of place, getting in a, like in a mink coat, sort of wandering through past all the fishermen and all that. And she goes to uh, Brinkmeyer's store mm-hmm. to try and find out where Mitch Brenner lives. Um, and she sort of ascertains it using her feminine wiles yet again. But what I love is um, when... Um, she says is there like a back way to get to his house so so I don't give it away and they're like we could go across the lake by boat uh, across the bay by boat and then um, she says oh yeah I'll do that and like yeah. have you ever handled a boat before yeah. of course yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got plenty of time to do stuff when you're rich haven't you yeah <laughs> exactly yeah and yeah it's not without it's not outside the realms is it that she could do that Tippy Hedron tells a funny story that um, when she came to do the scene where she gets in the boat the crew said to her, have you ever handled a boat before? And she said, of course. <laughs> 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 she hadn't. <laughs> so she was just channeling the heart. <laughs> Never just, acting. She just winged it. Yeah. <laughs> just winged it. Oh, 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 oh. 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 even me in that. I don't even mean it. Good morning. Good morning. I wonder if you could help me. Well, try my best. I'm looking for a man named Mitchell Brenner. Yeah. Do you know him? Yeah. Where does he live? Right here, Bodega Bay. Yes, I know, but where? Right across the bay there. Where? Now, see where I'm pointing? Yes. Uh, See them two big trees across there? You mean on the other side of the bay? Yes. And the White House? Yes. That's where the Brenners live. The Brenners? Mr. and Mrs. Brenner? No, just Lydia and the two kids. The two kids? Yeah. Mitch and the little girl. Oh, I see. How do I get down there? Well, you follow the road around the bay, and that'll take you right to their front door. The front door. Is there a back road I can take? No. That's the only road. You see, I want to surprise them. Oh? I don't want them to see me arrive. Oh. It's a surprise, you see. Well, you could get yourself a boat and cut right across the bay to their dock. So, yeah, taking her stalk into new levels, she gets a boat and heads across the bay and breaks into Mitch's house whilst he's outside. No, it's a playful jeep, you know. It's just, of course. It's all good fun. Yes. Stop breaking an engine. (laughs) It's not disturbing leaving caged birds in a noose into one's house. I was just more concerned that she went up all of that effort she like traipsed across the country bloody with these two beds that she spent money on and got around and then snuck into the house on a boat and everything i was like if she doesn't get a shag out of this mm-hmm. that was a fucking waste i know i know like that was commitment yeah but you get the impression that she does that all the time though that kind of stuff mm. she is just yeah sort of, just sport she's just reckless sport isn't she she's a bit of a daredevil and she's got nothing better to do yeah she's got nothing to lose other than putting a little Korean boy through school I've got you when she describes like the society thing yeah. 
we do a lunch on Tuesdays and we do <laughs> <laughs> my semantics class on Wednesdays and then on Fridays we're putting a little Korean boy through school <laughs> <laughs> so when she's not doing that she's following men across the, the I to follow him do you fa- yeah he is, he is pretty he's gorgeous pretty isn't he yeah yeah, he's very cute. He's, he's just, no John Gavin, but he's, he's pretty It's cool. just old Hollywood man. Like, yeah. He's in the suit and everything. I'm just there. Yeah, masculine, and he's got mm-hmm. the bit of chest hair as well, like, popping out. And... He's very good in a, in a bad situation as well. He remained calm. I like him. You know, you'll smell of pipe smoke and whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> mm, that's fine. That's what everyone That's fine. Don't you smell of pipe smoke and whiskey? No. Lavender and... Baby oil. Baby oil. <laughs> <laughs> so she leaves leaves the bed and then Hop puts it back out of there and she wants to get caught, doesn't mm. she? And then he sees her on the boat and he then makes his journey around the bay via via his car, via his truck while she is on the boat. And while she's sort of playing the coquettish little innocent little a gull flies down and clips her head and then does starts the, the bird attack really. And needs to be saved by a man. Of course. Yeah. Before she gets the birds oh, over, yeah. she goes and meets Annie Hayworth, the school teacher. Because she doesn't know the, um, she doesn't know what Mitch's sister's name is, does she? Because yeah. they're having an argument in the shop, aren't they? And it's Alice. Yeah, it's Alice. No, it's Lois. Like, yeah. no, it's definitely Alice. But it's actually Kathy. It's actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just you just a voice that you, you never see the person shouting, yeah. but they're just shouting. It's yeah. Lois. That's quite funny. Yeah, I think that's because that's an intentional it? humorous bit as well. Yeah. So she goes and meets Annie Hayworth, the school teacher. Very interesting scene, I think. I like the fact that. Uh, what do you think of Annie? Do you like Annie? Yeah. Yeah. I like her. I, I like the fact that she's sort of cynical, and she's actually my favorite character in the film. She's sort of cynical and world weary and beaten down by men and I really like them two together. Mm. As like like a past love interest of Mitch's and her and yeah, it's obviously from the beginning you know what the setup is. Yeah. With that, you can tell before she tells you. But like just the way that they two interact and the way she kind of she feels almost like a frenemy kind of mm. yeah. thing. Mm. But like she's nice, but then a little bit bitchy. Yeah, and she kind of treads that line like ever so delicately. That's interesting, isn't it? It keeps me interested. Like in the end, I think she genuinely liked her, yeah. and it wasn't like yeah, it wasn't any maliciousness from anyone. Yeah, it was just a bit of jealousy. I think I just think it's so interesting the way she sort of um, she's kind of Annie is sort of. Um, She's less glamorous, isn't she, than Melanie? Mm. She's sort of in her old, her old sort of slacks, and she's been tilling the soil and all this sort of stuff. And she's sort of, she's got this sort of cynical, been there, done that, bought a t-shirt, look about her, and a sort of husky voice and all this sort of stuff. And the way they play with each other, it's like you were saying about the frenemies. It's like they dance around each other, they're sort mm. of sizing each other up, mm. but at the same time, they do quite, actually quite like each other. Yeah. And I think it's actually one of the moments in the film where you see what a good actress Tippi Hedren could be as mm. well because it's all nothing that they say says what they feel if you know no, what I mean yeah. everything they say is sort of clipped and nice but it's all in the way they, deli- they both deliver it you, sort mm. of, you see the tension there but the grudge and respect for each other and it's like it's really messy and complicated yeah. if it was given to someone else then this I imagine the character would have just been a lot more blunt and nasty and bitter and I yeah. think the choice to go with a lot less of that and a lot more subtle yeah. kind of plays a lot better and I do think that the fact that she's got the dark brown hair with her light blonde hair is a deliberate 
Yeah. yeah. Nice mm. contrast that they've drawn up there. Yeah, I do like, I've always thought of Annie as, as having a bit of a lesbianic vibe as yeah. well, Devin, I don't know why. I think it's the contrast of her character with Tippy Hedren's, because Tippy Hedren's character, Melanie is just so hyper feminine. Yeah. And, and he is feminine, but... Mm. She works in the garden. She gets muck on her face. Yeah. She never wears... She, I don't think she ever wears a skirt. She wears trousers. And in the setting of the time where everybody's so gender-conforming, there's yeah. something, there is something a bit queer about yeah. about her yeah. in that context. Yeah. I definitely think that as well, yeah. I loved the bit where she says... Um, where she, where she realises that Melanie's actually got lovebirds for Mitch. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jessica Tandy does the same thing later on. Yeah. yeah. It's like the, it speaks volumes, it, tell, it tells those women exactly what her intentions are mm. the minute that they find out that she's rolled off birds for it. Well, not really for him, it was, it's for his sister. But it still speaks volumes, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, no. You still know straight away, don't yeah. you? Yeah. I'm for. using this as a pretense to bring love birds to him. Yeah. So she gets whacked by the gull. Yeah. It's in the boat, isn't it? As just as she's pulling into the wharf, the gull just hits it inside of the head. Yeah. I love that face she pulls just before it hits her as well. <laughs> that sort of vacant. Head cocked to one side, which is, I wonder whether it was Tippy trying to sort of look like, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine, I'm not going to mm-hmm. be hit by a bird any minute. But I think it's more like a, she knows Mitch is watching her, so she's mm-hmm. got that sort of, you know, butter wouldn't melt look on her face. Maybe he didn't tell her. Maybe it was kind of like, okay, you, you're, as you're coming in the boat, a seagull hit you at some point. Yeah. So mm-hmm. just, they've just whacked her, and when she hasn't, when she wasn't expecting her. Yeah. It sounds like something Hitchcock might have done. I love how her hair is dishevelled, but completely not dishevelled. It's so amazing. It's like, she just constantly gets attacked by birds. They attack her hair, and it falls out of place, but falls into the most glamorous place that it ever fell into. (laughs) It's untidy, but no. Perfectly kept on tidiness. It's it's really admirable. Even when she's got blood dripping down her face, it just kind of blends nicely. (laughs) (laughs) She's clearly a bottle blonde as well. And the first thing to think to, uh, when she's when she's um, in pain is quick at the peroxide. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like the more he dabs the peroxide back into the blonde hair, the more she sort of gets a spunk back, doesn't she? Yeah. She's like, she's, she's, I don't know what it is that she says to him. Says, I loathe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's when we first meet Lydia as well, isn't it, the mum? Yeah. So Jessica Tandy plays Lydia, who's like the... Sort of, how would you describe her? I don't know, I find her a bit of a strange character. Yeah. The overbearing mother, but then you're meant to feel really sorry for her. And you kind of do a little bit as it goes on. You see that she's actually really lonely. It's okay. She's, I think compared to everyone else, she's weak. She, she feels a bit like one of these people, probably like she grew up under depression and stuff, so she's wary of city people and town yeah. folks. She's a bit, mm. yeah. bit of a bumpkin almost. Yeah. She is, but she's also got that kind of si- really quiet way of sizing up a girl mm. as well. The minute she sees that this girl has got designs on her son, she really underplays everything that she says, doesn't she? Especially with the love bit. Oh, I see. You get the... You, you definitely... You know that she's sort of ruined every relationship he's ever been in. Yeah. And he doesn't necessarily see that, yeah. but she's driven away a good proportion of any woman who's ever been in... Yeah. in touch with him they've got that sort of obsessive mother-son relationship a bit like Norman Bates again isn't yeah. it I think yeah. Hitchcock was drawing on some of his own experience for, for the way he described these overbearing mothers I think the relationship with um, 
to be and uh, is actually quite nicely played out and I think they have the best storyline with each other like yeah. as far as character development goes because you start off distrusting each other and she doesn't like it and she talks about romps in yeah. Rome yes, and stuff like does. that yes. and then they actually grow as a pair of characters mm. they don't just have the stupid love that they have that comes from nowhere they kind of learn to like each other yeah. towards the end I mean I'll talk about it at least at the end, actually. But when the um, uh, when Melanie goes over for dinner as well, it's quite notable that um, Lydia doesn't like. She do, she's not overly welcoming to her. So when they get no. into the house, she's not even like, "Oh, let me take your coat, or would you like a drink?" She just goes in and goes straight to the phone to mm. phone up the uh, about the chickens. Yeah, the chickens are sick. Forget the law. Yeah, and she just leaves like Melanie to her own devices. So you can see she's got that kind of cold hard mm. you know I'm going to sort of size you up you're not you're never going to be good for my son yeah. and you will leave <laughs> yeah. you will be gone which is what we find that happened to Annie as well isn't it mm. so tip, so Melanie goes I love the fact that she just goes and forces herself on Annie and is like can I stay in your spare room yeah. you've got the room for rent I'll move in and she's got like a little carrier bag with her of stuff yeah. and yeah. things so he buys a set of pyjamas, isn't it? Well, I just assumed it was fresh knickers and lube. It's actually Wednesday at night. Fancy. No, I mean, I do actually like Lydia. The mum, I think she's really interesting. I think that she's really no-nonsense. And she's sort of got the measure of everyone and everything. And she's, like, used to this life of sort of dull servitude, really. And, you, you know, she's not interested in anything that's outside of her little world. She doesn't mm. want anything to do, like you were saying, to do with, like, the big city. She's mm. got a mistrust of, of, of anything that's not in her comfort zone and nobody can get close. She's got Mitch and Kathy, and that's all she really cares about. Mm. And I do sort of... I like that kind of character because she sort of stays the same throughout, even when she's weak, in a way. I mean, we'll talk about it at the end, but by the end of it, she's the only one who's got away. She's yeah. got her, she's sort of happy because she's got what she wanted. She keeps a nice homely house as well. I love the bit where we find um, Melanie playing the piano. <laughs> yeah. Very convincingly. And this is the, the scene with the sister. She's a bitch. Yeah. Like, in that little scene. Like, it's really sort yeah. about being a lion, isn't he? It's <laughs> like, you are a scary child when she tries to convince her to come to the party. Oh, yeah. And she, like, guilt trips her. Like, and probably goes, oh, please, won't you come? You just have to come. Yeah. It's like, I love the bit where she's, where she's talking about Mitch's work and she yeah, says they're all hoods yeah he has a client who shot his wife in the head six times <laughs> six can you imagine I mean even twice would be overdoing it <laughs> <laughs> you quoted that out me the other day and yeah. I just realised I did write that down yeah. <laughs> and then I wrote yes let's laugh at domestic violence and murder yes I love uh, I always notice the way she smokes as well the way Melanie smokes in these scenes and um, she was interviewed and they said to her, do you know, do you really smoke? And she says, yeah, I do really smoke, but I only learned how to do it for an advert. So the way she smokes is how a model would smoke. Yeah, so she yeah, does yeah. it for the aesthetic Thanks, value of it. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see it as a bitch. I saw her maybe a bit emotionally manipulative. Well, I think... She's she, not quite the bad seed, though, is she? No, to me, it's kind of... She's learned that from the mum. The mum kind of had, like, abandonment issues. That's why there's a massive gap between yeah. Mitch and Cathy. And it's like, the mum was worried... That obviously Mitch is going to leave soon so she's had a kid really late on yeah so I think Lydia has taught Cathy this manipulative course, and she's yeah. learned to learn behaviour yeah. how yeah. to be an overbearing little girl yeah. which is interesting because when I, when they were talking about it in the next scene with um, the school teacher and her I didn't actually know the names yet properly and I was wondering whether they were talking about the mother or mm. whether the sister was the possessive one and I couldn't mm. figure yeah. out because either one at that point 
could have been the one that was the possessive one, so maybe that is it. Yeah. She's just that's what, I, friend with her. that's what I got from her anyway. Yeah. I mean, the film is all about all of these women who need to possess Mitch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. They're all, they've all got that in common, haven't they? Uh, but he, do, you know, he doesn't do himself any favours. In the scene where, where him and Lydia are cleaning up after dinner, the way he calls his mum darling... Yeah, that's, that's a bit creepy. I thought that. It, it, there's something very it, man and Doesn't wife. he, later on, he goes to call and Tippy Hedren darling as well, yeah. doesn't he, in some of the scenes? And it's like, you've just stopped calling your mum that and now yeah. you're calling... It's hard to differentiate the way he talks to his mum. No, I don't yeah. think there is a difference. I don't think there yeah. is a difference. There's a great shot. So after that, when she goes... So Melanie goes back to Annie's and they're sort of dissecting the evening, aren't they? There's an amazing shot. I don't know if you noticed it. It was my favourite shot in the film. And it's where um, Annie's in the foreground smoking and Melanie's oh. in the background on the phone smoking. Yeah. And they're, they're just... It's so... It looks amazing, and Annie's face is just so full of kind of hair. Mm-hmm. You know, because basically she did what Melanie did, didn't she? She followed Mitch mm. to Bodega Bay, and she's she, still there. <laughs> she was like a San Francisco. You know, she seems sort of like maybe she was into like the beat movements, and she yeah. looked cool. Mm. And now she's sort of stuck in the middle of nowhere yeah. for four years, and it's like you get the impression that she's constantly waiting for Mitch to just change yeah. his mind. Mm. Yeah, but and. Even if she realises that he won't change his mind, she's burnt to bridges, she's stuck there, she's, yeah. she is stranded in Bodega Bay. Yeah. She hasn't got the resources to go back to yeah. San Francisco. And I don't think she even wants to, because it does come across that she's, even though she knows it's on McQueen's, I think she's just still so obsessed with him that she doesn't care. Mm. She'll suffer the heartache and pain to be with him. Yeah. She's sort of given up as well, hasn't she? Really, she's sort of she hasn't given up him, but she's given up the idea that there's anything but him. She's given up the yeah. idea of going back to to what her life was. I like the interaction where they're discussing about the mother being yeah. possessed, and I like the way um, Tippy says that doesn't she know that she wouldn't be losing a son, she'd be gaining a daughter? Because I think that comes full circle. When you say that, dude, it's not it's not so much that she's worried about she because she knows eventually Mitch will go, but it's more about the abandonment of it all. Mm. We get to one of the campus creepy moments of the film, which is where the bird flies into the door, and she mm. says, "The you know poor thing must have got lost must have got lost in the dark." <laughs> and then Melanie says, "But it's not dark, honey. There's a full moon." <laughs> and it's the way they sort of look at each other. Like, yeah. <laughs> This is ominous. This is <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? I was seeing a lot of him in San Francisco. Then one weekend he invited me up to meet Lydia. When was this? Oh, four years ago. Shortly after his father died. Of course, things may be different now. Different? With Lydia. Did she seem a trifle distant? A trifle. Well, then perhaps things aren't quite so different. You know, her attitude nearly drove me crazy. When I got back to San Francisco, I spent days trying to figure out exactly what I'd done to displease her. Well, what had you done? Nothing. I simply existed. So what's the answer? Jealous woman, right? Clinging, possessive mother? Wrong. With all due respect to Oedipus, I don't think that was the case. Well, what was it? Lydia liked me. That's the strange part. Now that I'm no longer a threat, we're very good friends. Why did she object to you? Because she was afraid. Afraid you'd take Mitch? Afraid I'd give Mitch. I don't understand. Afraid of any woman who would give Mitch the one thing Lydia can give him? Love. That adds up to a jealous, possessive woman. No, I don't think so. 
You see, she's not afraid of losing Mitch. She's only afraid of being abandoned. Someone ought to tell her she'd be gaining a daughter. <laughs> no, she already has a daughter. Well, what about Mitch? Didn't he have anything to say about this? Well, I can understand his position. He'd just been through a lot with Lydia after his father died. He didn't want to risk going through it all again. Oh, I see. So it ended. And not right then, of course. We went back to San Francisco, saw each other now and then, but we both knew it was over. Then what are you doing here in Bodega Bay? I wanted to be near Mitch. Oh, it was over and done with, and I knew it, but I still wanted to be near him. You see, I still like him a hell of a lot. And I don't want to lose that friendship. Ever. Hello. Hello. No, 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 I wasn't asleep. Yes, just a little while ago. Sure, hold on. It's Mitch for you. Hello. Oh, yes, this is Melanie. I'm fine, thank you. No, no trouble at all. I simply followed the road. Well, there's no need to apologize. I can understand. Well, it's very kind of you. No, I'm not angry. Well, I couldn't. I have to get back to San Francisco. No, I wouldn't want to disappoint Kathy, but... I see. All right, yes, I'll be there. Good night, Mitch. He wants me to go to Kathy's party tomorrow afternoon. I said I would. Should be fun. I'll be there, too, to help. Oh, it seems so pointless. Well, I think I'll go to sleep. It's been a busy day. My luggage. That's pretty. Where'd you get that, Brinkmeyer's? Mm -hmm. Do you think I should go? Oh, that's up to you. No, it's really up to Lydia, isn't it? Never mind Lydia. Do you want to go? Yes. Then go? Thank you, Annie. Oh, wonder who that can be. Someone there? Who is it? Look. Poor thing. Probably lost his way in the dark. But it isn't dark, Annie. There's a full moon. Um, I do love the kids' party. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. I love the terrible backdrop as well, where they go from being on location to being on the soundstage. Yeah. And it's, like, really obvious. And she's got, like, a little flute of champagne the whole time as well. There's a really weird scene. I think it's when uh, she's actually when she gets hit by the seagull for the first time. And when they're walking from the boat, you can see that they're on location. And then there's a weird scene of, like, a backdrop. 
as the walk and it's like why is the why is the you know a real projection scene just yeah. for that one little bit and then they're on location again it's like what happened what yeah. happened in those five seconds <laughs> yeah I love um, the, 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 the actual quote from that scene about uh, what she does how she spends her time is uh, Mondays and Wednesdays she works for the travellers aid at the airport on Tuesday she's taking a course in general semantics at Berkeley and on Thursday she, she has lunch meetings because they're sending a little Korean boy through school <laughs> oh, she's uh, yeah She's amazing. She's amazing. I love a little man. The, yeah, so she's holding the glass the whole time, a little martini glass, actually. I said champagne glass. And the, so we get a bit into her psyche as well, so we're talking about her mother. Just getting a bit where I felt her acting. I just don't get the bit where she... Does she pretend to cry? Well, she sort of, her voice cracks a little bit, doesn't it? I can't tell if she was meant to be fake crying or whether it was meant to be genuine crying. Model, I just, model crying. Model crying. Yeah. <laughs> I just genuinely didn't believe it. <laughs> but I couldn't tell if she was deliberately faking it, like pretending to fake yeah. cry, or whether she was just really bad at pretending to cry. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, and I couldn't, I could never quite make that out. I think it was meant to be just sort of she's on the verge of letting emotions out, but she just pulls it back in at the last minute. Yeah, because the way she spins around again and is glamorous. And yeah. And she's like, well, better get back to the party. Um, and then, I don't think there's any greater pleasure than watching ch- children be attacked by murderous bears. Yeah, it's brilliant. I <laughs> That girl who falls like a sack of shit and it's like attacking an egg. Yeah. I'm so there. Like. The little girl who's face down with the legs kicking in the yeah. head, like eating the back of her neck. <laughs> it's brilliant. Comedy. It's so good. It happens twice. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I get the impression Hitchcock really enjoyed it. <laughs> it, it does happen twice. And yeah. both times I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, just, yeah. I was so happy. I could watch kids getting eaten by birds all day long. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second bird attack. And then quite quickly, actually, after that bird attack, you have the bit where the birds come flying down the chimney. As well, yeah, yeah. all the sparrows, isn't it? Yeah, because it's when they go inside after the party, isn't it? That they're all sitting there. Oh, let's have a let's just put the fire on and have relax, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then down they come and it's basically destroy the house, yeah. Yeah. All of these scenes have these weird mixes of I find them funny, but then they actually are kind of a little bit scary and creepy. I think it's just an overload of senses because it's so like the squawking of the birds and like the waves and. Well, there's no squawking of birds in there, is there? No. There's no actual bird sounds at any point in the film. I always think it sounds like electricity. They're all... They're all sound like cats. They're all electronically made. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, there's no actual bird sounds anywhere in the film. But it's like... You can tell it's like tapes. It's like tape mm-hmm. rewinds and then yeah. sque- screeching. It's really effective, isn't it? Yeah. Because there's no score in the film. Yeah. Like yeah. It's got that electro- yeah. like electronic kind of feel to it, so it doesn't feel real. Yeah, and because it's not, but it, it, it's so effective, I think. Yeah. Well, what I found really interesting was, um, you know, the, so that scene where they're all getting attacked and um, Jessica Tandy's got the fake birds stuck to her hair and she's screaming. So that's actually hair on the poster, not Tippy Hedron. Ah. ah. They just changed the colour of her hair and the suit to so it looked like Tippy Hedron, but that's actually ah. Jessica Tandy screaming <laughs> on the famous, the famous poster of the birds. Ah. Interesting stuff. Uh, and then, um, interestingly, the, so in the next bit after that, there was a scene that was cut. Um, I think it was just for time. And um, it's Mitch builds a bonfire and burns all of the dead birds outside wow. the house. So when you see them outside the next day talking, that's meant to have just happened. Mm. So then after that, Lydia goes over to the force of farms, doesn't she? Yeah. It's a really amazing, horrible scene of gore. I think that's, that's probably the most disturbing 
yeah. fit in the film for me. Because you're not expecting it, are yeah. you? That level of gore. Like, yeah. So Lydia goes over to the Forsyth farm and finds Dan Forsyth sat up in sat up in his bedroom the place has been trashed by bits and he's had his eyes pecked out mm. but there's like it doesn't even zoom in does it it just cuts closer 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 until yeah. it fills the screen there's, there's bloody the way the scene plays out before as well is really mundane she's just going to do something boring so it's not really setting you up for it like this is no, it because it's it's really his chicken stopped eating. yeah yeah so he's just go- yeah yeah it's really clever actually and then her response to that I think is really camp as well when the way she flails and she runs down the hallway mm. and she drops but a she, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the very same thing <laughs> you'd never catch Tiffy doing that well she's no socialite is she she is Lydia <laughs> um, and also um, at the, in the Camille Pagley book she makes reference to the fact that it's very Oedipal so the film's quite eatable and they, they reference eatable and then you see someone with his eyes gouged out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Quite interesting. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah. There's, there's loads of Hitchcock, isn't there? Yeah. And then, so that leads into a, another interesting scene. So I think there's some, uh, there's, there's like a few really interesting um, exchanges between the women in the film, isn't there? So there's, you've got, you've got the two different scenes with Melanie and, Annie, hmm. and then this scene then with Melanie and Lydia, where Lydia's in the bed and she's suddenly vulnerable, and Melanie's sort of taking up the role of, of uh, the woman of the house, hasn't yeah. she? She's making the tea, bringing it in on a tray, and all that sort of stuff, and you get a little bit under Lydia's skin there hmm. as well. And I, I think um, it's quite, it's really nicely been, actually, and it's good because you've got. Um, You've got throughout that scene, you've got real character stuff delving into her backstory, but at the same time, it's fu- it's it's making you think forward because mm. the whole time she keeps going. Do you think she's okay at the school? There's mm. big windows, and so she's sort of foreshadowing what's what's about to happen. And partly because nobody's believing them are they at this mm. point. There's only no. there's only her and Mitch, yeah, and um, and Melanie and Kathy who actually have any idea. Anything really untoward is happening. They've yeah. bed hit Annie's house. Mm. They're the only people who really know something terrible is yeah. going on. Because, like in any good horror film, the police are absolutely useless. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that she's really honest and that's when she goes, um, My son seems to like you a lot. I didn't even know if I like you. Yeah. Like, that's quite a very honest and up there thing. The way she speaks is just very. It is, but then she says, "I want to understand you," doesn't she? She says, "I mm. think I understand you, and I really, and I want to understand you." And I think that it's nice to see her with a heart, honestly. Like, and when she thanks her for the cup of tea, I just think that was a nice little moment. Mm. Even if it was just thinking of the cup of tea, they felt like there was a bit of weight there with oh, what yeah. she was saying. Which leads to one of the most iconic scenes in the film, isn't it, with mm. the, the school attack? Yeah, the bit before with the birds, London. It was the best. That's what, yeah, the whole yeah. build up. So I, so I had a really random moment like that a few weeks ago. It was Halloween night. No, it wasn't. It was mischief night the night before Halloween, and I was sitting on Mill Street in a car with um, my two nephews whilst their mum ran into the chippy to get like tea, and we were sat on a corner. And so, listeners, Mill Street is Liverpool, like Dingle, and it's quite a working, very working class area. Lots of lots of um, young people with not very much to do who can be quite naughty sometimes and it'd be a mischief night I didn't even think about it and we were, we were sat literally I was taking photographs of my nephews with me back to the street corner for about three minutes it took three minutes where I was doing all these silly filters making them look like pumpkins and stuff and then Jay came out, the, came out of the chippy and came running over and got in the car and said can you believe it look at them and I turned around and 30 
Ketwig Scallies as a mask all around the car <laughs> silently. <laughs> so scary. I know, they weren't doing anything. They were just getting ready to go out and egg people because it was mischief night and they would congregate on this corner right next to the car. Getting ready to egg you. But <laughs> the freaky thing is, Jade, because um, I needed the lights to take the photographs, she'd left the door open. So how did I not hear them? Thir- like 30 plus young teenage lads with terrible hair in black tracksuits all stood around the car. And I immediately thought of the monkey bells in the birds. Mm. I had a real tippy head for a moment. They didn't attack me with the children. Unnerving. unnerving. Very unnerving. It was the silence, like ninja-like still. So she's waiting to go in and get Kathy from school, and she's sitting with her back to the monkey bars, and she's smoking like a model yet again. Mm. Um, and we see, it's just a genius moment, isn't it? Yeah. The birds are slowly amassing. The crows, the whole crows. Yeah, the crows. Or blackbirds. Or yeah. blackbirds, yeah. We've that to base, isn't it? Yeah, that's true, Because yeah. it's just brilliant. It's like, there's one, and then two, and then, it, and then it cuts away, and then when she looks at one lands, and then turns around, and there's, like, about 50 there. Yeah. yeah. It's so obvious, that. Yeah. That's just well done. Yeah. Yeah. It's very Hitchcock, yeah, isn't it? It's, it's brilliant. It's great build-up. It's the silent, complete silence mm-hmm. as well. All you can hear is, like, a slight flutter of wings, mm-hmm. isn't it? So then she panics... Stays calm, actually, goes into the school and is like, says to Annie, we need to get the kids out of here. So Annie, inexplicably, like, tells the kids that they're going to have, like, a fire drill. Yeah, fire drill. <laughs> Things that they're not going to respond with, like, a what? A fire drill? I quite liked Annie's control of the kids and the way she got them in. I thought she was very calm. She came up with a solution. I do feel like that when they got outside, it all just went <laughs> 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 It was less, they'll all stay quiet and try to sit and just, yeah. fuck it! <laughs> just run what? in any direction. Yeah. But what else? What yeah. else would you get? Just when um, there's a big fuck off flock of 150 birds yeah. about to attack. I don't know. But telling the kids to go to their own home if you live close by, and then some of them to go to there, you wouldn't know if any of the kids survived. Like because if some of them went to their own house, how do you know they actually went to their own house and never got pecked to death? Well, if I, if well, you didn't see it, it's not your problem. The, log- <laughs> the logic being, if they didn't turn up, something had happened. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's too fucking late then, isn't it? The peck to death. And if I was Annie, I'd actually quite enjoy that. I'd actually wait for them to all get outside and go... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was crying, laughing at this entire scene. I just think it's it was hilarious and intense at the same time. It's just, every time the birds are going mental, it's such a sensory overload. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. That it is intense and kind of creepy. And then... At the same time, it's just, I think the effects and everything is just hilarious. But, uh, and I love watching people getting pecked. Well, deep down, minutes. we've all got we've all got that sort of um, evil sense of humour where we want to see annoying children pecked to death yeah. by birds. That one that girl gets scratches over the face and she's getting eaten, I love it. Yeah. Kathy! <laughs> and um, and this, is the, this is that brilliant scene where no matter what happens, Tippy does not drop that handbag. <laughs> does not drop that purse one minute, which is brilliant. Um, so then um, then starts the next so, so that goes from one amazing set piece to another doesn't it because they're in the car aren't they they're in the car but then after that they go on it moves on to back to the Tides restaurant mm. which in itself I felt was yeah, like a that's, play that's, that's yeah that's amazing that's a good scene. it's like 15 minutes isn't it and it's like a play and you've got the first bit where you've got the um, you know the, you've got Mrs., uh, Mrs Bundy the ornithologist who's yeah, amazing incredible. yeah she was great 
Uh, and you've got all that kind of panic, that sort of moral hysteria <laughs> of a small town <laughs> and different things. So you've got like the, you've got the town drunk, haven't you? Mm. You've got the academic. You've got like the, the panic and shrill mother. Yeah. Uh, and you've got you know, um, <laughs> hey Jean, where are those bloody Marys? You've got the waitress and all that, followed by the big explosion and then the aftermath. Yeah. It's like three. It's like a little play yeah. in itself. Mm, mini play, yeah. It was brilliant. brilliant. Love when they're having this discussion about birds killing people. Then someone just sticks out of the kitchen and goes, Three, three fried chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of sort of yeah, wraps uh, it up in a nutshell. I, yeah, I think so. Because Hitchcock sort of playfully, I mean, he, he, he's always been quite vague about what the film means and the, the yeah. themes of it, but. He, I think that's a clue. Yeah, it's he like did this, playfully say in the. In yeah, the, this is what it's about. Yeah, in the promotion of it, he said, You know, if you've ever had fried chicken or if you've ever kept a a bird in a cage then look out because the birds are coming oh. for you so in a way is that when he went for them because they had the birds in the cage and they got their first major attacks it's very possibly isn't it it would make sense it's always a little harder I'd be safe me and the birds would be like sad mm. yeah if Tofu ever went on a, cra- on a crazy <laughs> attack <laughs> he'd be in trouble <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Watch out for that tidal wave of bean curds. <laughs> <laughs> the curds. <laughs> the curds. <laughs> the curds. <laughs> Vegan Vegans The curds. I love the hysterical mother. Oh, she's brilliant. Crazy about like. I love the kid though. The kid says, "Mom, the bird's gonna eat me. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna eat me, mommy." And I love the faces that the kids pull throughout the whole scene. Yeah. They're like got these little screwed up, terrified faces. I just love that she's terrified him, which is when he's really taking him properly serious. Even <laughs> Tippy doesn't seem to be that like scared compared to her, and she's proper horrified. And then her solution is to follow the man. Out, he's bleeding. He's like, wait, there, let me just finish. And he's sipping on his brandy, yeah, and you know, I'm now going to follow him in yeah, your car uh, with your kids. She deserves all she gets. Yeah, and, with the beds. And I think, why does she need to follow anybody? It's a one, it's a one road town. Yeah, yeah. There's only one road in and one road out, and that goes to San Francisco. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I've done that drive. Uh, just that whole section. I love anything. I think. Um, a scene where the, the with the town's folks sitting around panicking is, is just as much fun as a scene of people sitting around telling ghost stories. Mm-hmm. You've got that same sort of communal vibe where you feel like you're in there with them and you want to, you want to throw your mm. two pence worth yeah. in and say, give your opinion as well. Um, which then obviously goes into the whole you know destruction of Bodega Bay, yeah. which is just fucking brilliant and has got the second best ever scene in the whole film, which is the freeze uh, the cartoon freeze frames of Sippy's face. Where she pulls four different expressions, it cuts away, yeah. comes back, and she's like in a different <laughs> position. Yeah, it's just mental. This is inside the phone box thing. So just before the phone box, so um, when she's watching the she's man, out the window, isn't she? Yeah. oh yeah, and the, she like it. The man's lighting a cigar, and then it's, it's like, that's the pissed fellow, isn't it? Who's yeah. he's about to drive back to San Francisco, but then instead explodes. Why not? Oh, was that him? Yeah, that's him. Yeah. Told her, stupid. Took the chances with a bit. Yeah. I was, I was quite shocked at that scene. I didn't, I didn't expect it to be so graphic and just explode. I know. It looks like <laughs> real, doesn't it? Mm. It does look real. And you have the really amazing aerial shot, don't you? Where it's like suddenly goes quiet, and then you see the birds slowly yeah, coming into just the, watching, slowly coming into shot. But they're looking at what they've done, aren't they? This is yeah. their handiwork. Yeah. Although they don't have hands, but mm. the wingy, wingy, wingy. <laughs> <laughs> 
feel like after the discussion, it's like making you make just like me. It's a shit joke. Wow. I'm so shit that it's really tickling me. Oh, God. Just after the discussion of how they're not that clever, I really feel like the scene where they set up the gas leak and everything for the big explosion, I felt like the birds were definitely just like, yeah, no, we yeah, are clever. Yeah, we're very clever. Too. We're going to set up an explosion. Yeah. Watch, bitch. Yeah. Don't call me a little panic. But that's it. But now, you know, the crows are really, really intelligent, aren't they? They can use tools and stuff to, yeah. to get things. Mm. So. It's like decorate the little homes mm. as well. Attract me, so that's fine. Tippy apparently suffered scorching through the glass when that explosion happened. It wow. actually happens on the other side of the glass from it. Mm. And um, she had like bloodshot eyes for a few days afterwards. Wow. And then when they were in the phone box as well, when the bear flew into the glass, the glass actually smashed in her face, so she was cut all in her cheeks as well. Obviously, not serious enough to ruin a career, but you know. That was very, um, it is just a very good scene, isn't it? It's a very clever use of the phone box to have it there in the middle of everything but then safe as well so that she could just watch the Mm. terror kind Mm. of unfold it's just a very clever device to use yeah yeah and also so then after that so she obviously is rescued by the man again Mitch has to come and help her and when she comes back in and they find like um, all the women are cowering in the corner and Mm. They say it all started when you came yeah, here. The, the mom attacked her. Yeah, slapped her in the like, face. I think you're evil. Evil! <laughs> and slaps her across the face. Well, um, it's like he slaps her across the face. Maybe that's kind of playing into the, the small town like angle mm. of it. That, you know, these people are a bit kind of backwards. They think, you know, they're distrustful of outsiders mm, and people yeah. from a big city. So do you think there's something to do with it? Yeah. It's, it's a strange idea. Yeah. But also, I think they resent Melanie as well because they're all cowering in the corner and she ran out there to try and do yeah. something. Yeah. Mm. And it's like that's the difference between her and them, isn't it? It's that it's, it's, she has she's still got that reckless, independent streak about her at this point. It deflects the tension away from their cowardice, doesn't it? To yeah. to say that actually, it, it, it doesn't matter that we've been cowardly. You've caused it. Yeah. Mm. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? They said when you got here, the whole thing started. Who are you? What are you? Where did you come from? I think you're the cause of all this. I think you're evil! Evil! I think they're going. We can get Kathy at Annie's now. You know, like, with the um, superimposed birds on that scene kept making me think of, you know, what was the film that we watched with that um, did one from the wind? Oh, The Happening. The Happening. I just kept thinking that The Happening just, they just forgot to put the birds in. (laughs) 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 That's why they're just running through fields. And if you took the birds out of this, they could just be running around in The Happening, running from the wind. (laughs) Someone should do that. Someone should superimpose the birds from this onto The Happening. And And remove the birds from from the bed. (laughs) 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 Oh, dear. 
Well, Shyamalan does like to copy of Hitchcock, doesn't he? he yeah, yeah, he puts himself in all his films, doesn't he? He's like Hitchcock yeah. does. And, and there were moments in the final, the final bit of this film with the attack on the house that maybe yeah. the, the last bit of signs as yeah. well, the bit with the door with yeah, the, the beaks are coming through. Yeah, that's Shyamalan just thinking he's the next Hitchcock when yeah. he's not. Tragically, then the best character for me in the film is dead. So be fine. It's really it's so downbeat that I think when it's horrible. You just she doesn't even in a weird way. I think it's worse. She doesn't even get a death. She's yeah. just dead. Yeah. Mm. It's it feels like an antic. I almost feel like she wouldn't have died. I feel like she was too sassy and too good. Yeah, to yeah. die. But I feel like she's not that stupid. But they do when Cathy uh, the next scene. It's like, oh, she saved me by pushing me in mm. the house. She had a hero's death. Yeah, but the but that kind of feels a bit forced because it's just the kid saying it, and it's like you don't yeah. see it. He's just her death's off screen. So. I, yeah, but there's something. Really the kid's good, though. But I think there's something about there's something about that that makes it more sad. Yeah, yeah. that's, no, that's what I mean. It is. The fans are just dead on the floor. Yeah. It's yeah. like the re- it's like a real death. It's yeah, like yeah, reality yeah. death, yeah. isn't it? Really, and then you don't see a face. They sort of spare you the damn force. It's no mm. eyes. They spare you that from Annie because it's more disturbing to wonder what's actually happened yeah. to her. What what happens to those what the bears have done to her. Hitchcock actually says in an interview that he felt it was a, a, a nice. <laughs> Tragic but nice death for Annie because it was the last thing she ever did for Mitch. Mm. Oh, so she was doing, she was there for him the whole time, mm. basically. She died for him, saving her sister. Which is really sad. I think that's, actually, that's even sadder. It's really yeah, sad. It's, yeah. I can't believe that we were going to leave it outside until um, yes, she said, suggested it. I was yeah. like, she's going to literally get eaten alive by the yeah. mother, eating dead. Yeah. Eaten. So she won't care. Yeah. She won't care, I suppose. I know, but I'd rather not get eaten by I'd rather birds. not get eaten by birds. You give them, you give them, you give back. You give, you give it something back, aren't you? Yeah, I don't want to give something back to the people who like. It's not like if I'm gonna die because of a cannibal, then I'm like, oh, but at least he got some nourishment yeah, from me. I don't think I'm gonna think that. At least he's, at least he's, he's hungry. He's full. Mm. The birds had a good meal. If I ever get killed by birds, <laughs> don't waste time. Just go escape. Yeah. yeah. Leave me speed. No, not both. But I'll pull your skirt down at least. Pull <laughs> <laughs> your skirt down. <laughs> it's our usual rule, Mal, for a night out. <laughs> Just pull my skirt down and leave me there. <laughs> <laughs> After our night out with Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> <laughs> After the tra- tragic death of Annie, we move on to the sort of final act, which is batting down the hatches back at the at the Brenner's house. Mitch is blocking all the windows up and stuff and then the attack comes, doesn't it? But it's sort of, it's actually quite quick, isn't it? Mm. Like, they sort of die off really quickly and you think, oh, that's a bit easy that the birds have suddenly gone away the minute that they've cut the power. You know, something else has got to happen here and obviously something else does happen because you have the sort of classic horror movie trope of Tippy Hedron going up the stairs and you're thinking, don't go up Mm. there. I always thought she was really stupid for going up there but then I actually thought, it's sort of going back to her character because she does the thing that she should never do yeah. all the time. That's yeah. her way of life, isn't it? Is being reckless and doing what people would advise against. I don't even think it was that bad to go up there. I just think when she was up there, she could have just opened the door and left. Yeah, when you <laughs> when you open the door a crack and see a big hole in the ceiling, instead of going the rest of the way in and closing yeah. the door behind you, you'd probably back out. Of. Yeah, <laughs> she just. It's the most pathetic attempt of an mm. escape ever. I do love that shot before that though, where when they think the birds are going and say, "Oh, they're going." It's focusing on a beam on the ceiling, mm. 
and then the character's heads pop up into the pop up into frame as if oh, it's yeah, looking yeah. there, and then it's it shows to be Hedron and then Mitch and then the mum, and it's mm. like it looks like a really modern shot. It's like the camera's looking at where they're going to be, and then they appear in frame, mm. and it cuts between the three of them. Yeah. It's a really it's a really modern yeah, shot. Yeah. It's so weird. I, from shot from below. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that shot because it's actually telling you that something's upstairs as yeah. well. Because it's looking, you can see the beam. The emphasis is on the on the ceiling, so it's like. Yeah, it's like if it was a slashing movie or a, mm. or a haunted house movie, you'd be waiting for footsteps yeah. on the ceiling. But yeah. that's them, isn't it? The listening above, yeah. and they say, "Oh, the birds have gone," because we yeah. can't hear them now. Yeah, it's, but it's, obviously, it's because they're inside. It's creepy, that. I think yeah. that's really creepy. It's yeah. a really good shot as well. It, it's it's so, uh, really modern looking. I thought. Yeah, um, and then we have the famous scene where where she's finally attacked by all the birds. So she. There's always been the sort of rumour that she had this fear of birds, so Hitchcock liked to wind it up tease and it, tease it and throw birds at her. She's never had a fear of birds. In fact, she's now opened, she's famous, famously opened an animal sanctuary after this in her later life. So she's never had a fear of birds, but they were meant to use mechanical birds in that scene, mm-hmm. um, but they decided that they didn't work and they told her on the day she was due to film, actually never going to attach real birds to you, they're all going to attack you. Nice. What do you mean attach real birds? Well, some of them were tied to her. They tied real birds? Some of them yeah. were tied to her. That's terrible. But others were just, basically they had like cages full of birds in front of her and just put them all at the same time. <laughs> oh my God. So they all flew at her, basically. You can see some of them are fake though. You can see some of them are puppets when you just see them for a split second. So you can tell some are real, but well, one of them, the one that there's one where there's a close up on a beak packing yeah. it, and that, that is real. Yeah. But but they but they put like a rubber thing over the bird's beak so it wouldn't hurt her too much. But it, one of them actually got it in the eye. Yeah. Well. So one of them scratched it just under the eye, and she said it was the worst week of her life. Didn't he make her keep on repeating the scene? Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's like a bastard. Yeah, they did it for um, seven days. They did it for, there were seven days needed to shoot one sequence that lasted for two minutes. But she she said, though, it was her first acting job, and because she'd spoken to Janet Lee about the shower scene, which took so long to make, she just assumed that this was normal. Mm. So she was like, oh, okay, then. And then afterwards, she said... So she's on. She's she's actually uh, quoted on the records as saying she doesn't believe that it was vindictive of Hitchcock, and he felt she, she remembers him feeling really bad about it afterwards, yeah. and he was like... He just wanted to get the shot. He was, like, shame-faced around for weeks and would only come out of his office when they had to shoot things because he felt ashamed for what he'd done. Mm. But then now, in her autobiography last year, she's reported as saying that he tried it on with her in a limo. He basically pounced on it kissing her and stuff and she said no so as a punishment for that he did he did this with mm. the birds so her hair stories sort of changed as the time's gone on so I'm more inclined to believe the latter not being a filmmaker I don't know but it does seem seven days of filming <laughs> <It> does <laughs> seem like a lot it does seem preposterous yeah it is an effective scene at the end of the day I was going to say it's, yeah. it's worth it at the end of the day no you know, Hedron, I, feel, I feel bad for Tippi Hedron going through that, but it's a great shot. It's a great scene. <laughs> it is a great scene. And then, so then after that, Melanie is basically catatonic mm-hmm. and looks like a sort of shadow of a former self. <laughs> she looks like she's just come out of the trenches or something with like a bang. She's proper there. fucked up though, isn't she? The, the damage to her, yeah. all the clothes and everything ripped. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's pretty, it is effective. So depending on how you want to read it, she has now been taught a lesson, possibly, about being an independent woman. <laughs> Nature has told her that you can't be an independent woman mm. and you can't be fabulous and all this, all these things. And she's been, no. she's been broken down. I don't, no, I don't think. I don't buy that. Part, I don't of, like part, that of, no, part of me did think that that's what they were trying to say. 
the cynical part of me. I'd be very upset if that's what they were going for. Just about the time. Obviously, it's made. not the lesson. That, it's not a lesson that I want to be taught. Yeah. But actually, I think I don't think it's that far a stretch to think that a film at that time. That's what I mean. Is, teach, is, is teaching that lesson? But I don't think they'd have made her so nice and likable and fun for us to watch if the moral lesson was going to be don't be like that. And do you know what I mean? Mm. But they do. But but they. But if you think it's the early sixties, and her acting like the way she, her acting the way she is, would have been revolutionary. Yeah. In a way, her sort of taking on the mantle of being the pursuer, which is normally what a man would do, mm-hmm. pursuing the girl at all odds, at all costs. You're talking madmen era. Mm. It's not that it was necessarily explicitly wanting to teach us that lesson, but that's just what people believed. So that's yeah. what is reflected in the film. Yeah, I don't know. It's just something that don't, I don't. Don't be too autonomous. Mm. Don't be too much of a flare. Mm. <laughs> but make sure your flares you know. Yeah. <laughs> Turn them on. Don't don't scare them. Turn them on. Don't scare them. Yeah. That was one of the things I noticed. That I just wondered if that. Could possibly be a way that would be a way to read a mischievous, independent woman broken down until she's dependent on men, and also she's dependent on the right kind of woman, i.e., Lydia. She suddenly fits that. She suddenly fits into that pecking order. <laughs> she suddenly fits into that pecking order where she's someone who is broken and damaged and and is no longer a threat to Lydia. So Lydia's won, Lydia's won the game mm. really by the end of the film. I again, no, I thought the scene where. Um, Melanie is like looking after Lizzie and stuff I thought that was kind of her that Lizzie kind of saying oh she would be good for me son you know what I mean mm. so I thought that was kind of her winning her over yeah. rather than the other way around yeah but by but the also, end of it but sorry but also but there's, there's almost a, there's a parallel there isn't there because Lydia's completely broken down at that point yeah. so she's um, she's giving it's almost there is almost a sense that Lydia's giving in yeah and yeah. um, Oh, go on, you, you can, yeah, Mitch can leave now. Mitch can leave now. And you, Lydia is, Lydia is, in the context of the town, is the right sort of woman. That's she's right. dedicated her life to mm. work and she's dedicated her life to family and yeah. children and the home. Melanie doesn't. Yeah. Melanie, Melanie is, Melanie's rarely at home, I yeah. would imagine. Yeah. And she's off socialising and doing all sorts of mad things and getting in trouble. Jumping mm. buttons. Yeah, or being pushed in front. She's, she's got to have a cup. She's got to have a comeuppance. Yeah. For me, it's this is kind of the end of the story. Arc, is that the way I saw it? Was that she was accepting it into the family, and it was the bit before where she was talked about. Doesn't she realise that she'll gain a daughter? And I feel like she did gain a daughter by the end of it mm. because it feels like when she's looking after it in the car, and she's she really looks like she's kind of soothing it and keeping her calm. And I feel like that was like a mother-daughter kind mm. of relationship that they'd set up then. I felt like they'd gone from enemies and grew to like each other and protect each other. And then they were looking after each other. And I feel like that was the main story of. But, uh, but I think there's an element of that. I think you're right. But I also think Lydia's really fucking happy about that. At the end, yeah. she's like... Because well, Melanie's so compliant. This girl needs me now. Mm. So I understand her. You know, yeah. so she doesn't understand her halfway through the film. But by the end of it, she's got this sort of... She's got this vulnerable, broken girl. That's something she can understand. So she's like, oh, this is my place now. I can look after this girl. 
I would like to see that as a good thing for both of them, though. I think they can both kind of take from each other. She's got comfort of knowing that she's not going to run away because she still needs help herself. Yeah. And then maybe she needs a good figure to calm her down because that's obviously not doing it. Yeah. And the mother wasn't around. Well, we get Melanie punished and <laughs> the sense of, but well, it's okay, she'll be all right because she's got Mitch. Yeah. Yeah. She's been punished and put in her place, but it's okay. Yeah. She's not, um, we're not completely casting her out yeah. altogether. She's, she'll get her husband yeah. and she'll settle down and become a family woman. Margaret Horwitz talks about Lydia being victorious by the end of it and she's damaged goods, which, which Lydia prefers because that's something she can understand. And, um, but she, uh, she also talks about the car, the relationship with the car, and that um, basically it starts with she's got. The car gives her the power to come to Bodega Bay and she's very much in the driver's seat. But then by the end of it, Mitch is driving it and she's in the back seat. Mm. And she's like, yeah, she's like that's, where, that's where you belong. Mm. They're not driving the car. Mm. There's so many different ways to look at it. It's a good film, isn't it? I, don't, I can definitely see all the paints you're making. I, I think, just hope for better. Yeah, I think... <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's but, it's, but it's 60 years. I, yeah, I think... But it's 60 years ago. Yeah. You're not going to get better. It I know, I think... The film wouldn't be made right. in that way in this in this no. era. In mm. fact, the BBC are making a series, but it's going to be based... It's going to be much closer to the actual original story. So mm. it's set in Cornwall and yeah. all of that. And I did think Bodega Bay... Reminded me of Cornwall. It does look very British, I thought. It does look like Wales. Yeah, it does look very English, um, I thought. Yeah. But you wouldn't, and the and the actual ending of the story is, it, it well, it's much darker. Um, but you wouldn't have, even if, even if the woman was was rescued by the man hmm. in this day and age, she wouldn't be in the back seat. Hmm. She'd be at the front of the car with him. Yeah. In this day and age. Yeah. I think that's it. That, I suppose it's right. If it's a um, sign of a good film, is that it can have a completely different meaning now to what it did back then. So maybe that was the message back then. But the message I chose to take from it is something well, a lot more mm-hmm. loving and yeah. nice. <laughs> it's not like you. <laughs> I know. I know. You're just cynical. I've been just. <laughs> <laughs> Say, where's the cynical Steve? <laughs> Slap that out of a man. Go on, yeah. slap him. <laughs> um, so get attacked end... by birds and get your real personality back. The ending is enchanted by the love birds. Love. Oh. The ending is um is open ended on purpose. Hitchcock yeah. wanted no. The end. He didn't want anything. That's why it just goes off. But um, there were another ten pages on the script. Yeah. Um, With the to roll through the town, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, and see all kinds of shit going on. People getting killed. Bus school bus turned over on one of the DVDs. It's got the storyboard for the end scene, hasn't it? Yeah. And it's really powerful, isn't it? It's where they come back to San Francisco and the Golden Gate Bridge is lined with beds. And I just think that is really cool. Taking on the short story because they, they talk about um, London being covered in birds mm. and being sort of destroyed but yeah so there we have the birds and Hitchcock said basically in the radio advertisement Hitchcock said if you have ever eaten a turkey drumstick caged a canary or gone duck hunting the birds will give you something to think about mm. <laughs> so that's on the surface of it that's what he was Yeah, that was the theme there like when the woman says that there's like 5 billion birds what would we do if they all did turn on us we would be fucked it's a good question yeah, yeah. like if there's you walk through town and all those seagulls decide that they wanted to eat you. Yeah. Then you're going to get eaten. 
It's not unheard of of seagulls in town, not together, but singly to, to like, like attack, attack people. people. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. A, a seagull flew into my car once. Yeah. But it was terrifying. Yeah. It was like it was like hovering and it swooped down and I think it didn't realise I was going as fast as mm-hmm. it was and it just kind of bellied its belly just went poof on through the screen <laughs> and bumped off. But um, they do terrify me. They're yeah. just get, with the junk food, they're just getting bigger and bigger. Oh, oh, so I I really like birds and I like seagulls and I like pigeons, I'm not like ever to them. I just think they're kinda of cruel little creatures that just fly around and they're just friends yeah. with us. Louise was in town once and saw a seagull eating a pigeon. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I've seen that a few times. Just eating a pigeon. Oh, that was the worst thing yeah. I've ever seen in my life. It was on my dinner break from work and I was walking back to work and this seagull just ate a pigeon in person. Yeah. But it like murdered it yeah. bloodily in front of me. And I was there in the street, nobody else was asked. I was standing there <laughs> screaming, going, Oh my god! <laughs> Get that single some tofu. <laughs> I think I had this substitute for pigeon. <laughs> Corn pigeon. Corn <laughs> pigeon pieces. <laughs> the tippy hedron off the back of this game was Melanie Griffith as well. Who, you know, is either a blessing or a curse, depending on your viewpoint. <laughs> um, We've never had body double. We would have never had her in body double, yeah. So that's the birds. We've talked about this for quite long enough. So Although I, do, I do think it's interesting that you mentioned the happening because for me, I saw it as kind of one of the first kind of like ecological horror type films. I do, I do think it, I would class as a horror film and it is, I, that's what I put it in. Yeah, and yeah. I would say ecological. Yeah. It's the first proper like, kind of, you know, animals are getting revenge and yeah. stuff because mm-hmm. it does... It talks about it right when they heard on the radio they say there's bears attacks up and down the coast now mm. hasn't it? it's like San Francisco's safe for now but mm. it's starting here and spreading out so yeah. it could be and it was based on some elements of reality yeah bears going crazy and trashing places but again it was due to things like you know yeah. fog and stuff like that um, it does remind me a little bit of the fog the town the little yeah. town mm-hmm. well it was almost like the fog so I visited Bodega Bay and the lighthouse from the fog in the same week yeah they are were, they close they're, really, they're really close to each yeah. other yeah it does remind yeah. me of the fog quite a bit the schoolhouse is still there I've got a handy photograph taken outside the schoolhouse and the tides the end of the tides as well that's yeah. different now it's all been remodeled and stuff but there's an element of that still there as well oh. it's really nice it's beautiful absolutely beautiful but there you have it the birds yes definitely a horror yeah. yeah, definitely a horror. Um, came off the back of Atomic Horror, really, didn't they? In the fifties, all that Atomic yeah. Horror stuff. But Hitchcock apparently says we're not making that kind of film. We want to make a realistic, in a way, you know, yeah. a realist yeah. film based in reality that sort of becomes more and more absurd as it goes along. And I, d- I definitely think it's got lots of camp value for for audiences who are looking for that. Mel- uh, Melanie, played by Tippi Hedren, is amazing just to watch. She does carry the whole film. She's in nearly every frame of the film. And for someone who is sort of looked down upon as an actress, I think she's actually pretty damn good. Um, so see what you think and let us know. Give us a tweet. Give me a tweet at Johnny Larkin. You can get Jonathan Butler at... Cthulhu502. You can get Stephen Moore. HT99. And Martin Fennerty. I'm at the school teacher's house at the Dega Bay. <laughs> <laughs> what, are you lying flat on your back with your uh, skirt around your neck? <laughs> <laughs> We've already had that conversation once in this podcast. Could, we could tie the message to a homing pigeon on the... <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed that. Please stay tuned for our next episode. Bye-bye, birdie. <laughs>